Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, so, you know, two of the big rules in life, don't lose to food, so that means play rice, get the job done, and don't waste time. And if there's one goal we've always had with Late Kick, it's I don't want you to think you wasted your time watching the show. Hey, sometimes we succeed, sometimes we don't. It's on Jesse when we don't, it's, it's on me when we do. But I want to tell you something. Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, really validated us today. And he's not even on the show tonight. Steve Sarkeesian is on the show tonight. Greg Sankey's not. He was on Feinbaum earlier, though, and he said a lot. I know he's kind of trending right now. He said more than even the folks who aggregated his comments realize he said. We are jam-packed, high atop a resplendent downtown Nashville, Tennessee, a picturesque downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's Tuesday, August 8th, the year of our Lord, 2023. Yeah, Greg Sankey talked today amidst all the chaos and confusion in college football. The old SEC commissioner stepped up and talked. He said a whole lot. As I told you, Steve Sarkeesian's on the show tonight. We have a metric ton of fall camp intel. I've got it coast to coast. I I got it all over the place. We could have done an entire show tonight of that. We've got a loaded recruiting intel segment tonight. There are major commitments coming up, major flips happening all over the place. The NCAA just continues to screw athletes nine ways from Sunday. I've got to call them, as we often have to do on the show, to task for something else that they have failed to do. And we got bold predictions. We got what if. We are going to predict the record of Clemson tonight. If it sounds jam-packed, it's because it is. You know they're watching us in Nigeria, Colin. Uh, and I can't even pronounce the town, but man, we appreciate it. Rhonda, North Carolina's tuned in. Abbeville, Alabama. Sacramento, California. As we start this live show tonight, this YouTube channel is at 192.5 thousand, 100,000 uh, subscribers. Can we get to 200K? I think we can by kickoff. I think we can. My challenge to you. We've been surging lately, so let's keep it up. Okay, I cannot drag tonight. I, uh, the air conditioner's out, by the way, in the office, so it's hot. I have got to tell you as I fan myself in the microphone to start the show, you're not wasting your time when you watch this show. Now, I can say that all I want to, but sometimes I need someone else to step up and prove it to you. So Greg Sankey did it today. Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, goes on the Paul Feinbaum show, and he said a lot. He said so much. So credit to them for getting it out of him. And, uh, you know, as Meemaw once told me, 
Don't tell me you told me so. Show me you told me so. Well, Meemaw, we did it. Or Greg Sankey did it for us. So remember last week, remember when everyone was focused on all of the ripples and waves of conference realignment, and I came on the show and I said something that I don't think anyone else was saying, and I said, hey, forget about conference realignment. Yeah, it's happening, but we can't stop it. But that's not the big news. Only because it was imminent for a long time. Remember back in spring, I told you Colorado was going to be on the move. I told you as much as I could that Oregon and Washington were going to be on the move. So it was no shock on this show, nor should it have been for you when they made the move. And so I came on the show last week and I said, guys, it's not about realignment. That's been done for a while. It's just playing out in front of the public now. I told you the conference and the tie-in situation with the playoff is what you need to pay attention to. I told you the college football playoff is really what's at stake here. You know my feelings on the playoff. I couldn't care less about this, but, but, but I know the sport revolves around it right now for a lot of you. And you got your expanded playoff, and I told you the college football playoff and the structure of it, that's what's really at the forefront of all this. I looked at the comments. We got some feedback on that. It was less than desirable. Well, do you believe Greg Sankey? He goes on the Paul Feinbaum show today. Actually, I've got the quote here. And he said, quote, It's wise for us to take a step back and reconsider what the format of the playoff might look like, given the changing circumstances. Translation, there is no shot in you know where that we are stepping to a table and agreeing to six auto-bid spots in any future playoff. If you want to keep 12 teams, that's fine. We're going to need either all at-larges or we're going to need like an 8-4 model or a 10-2 model. That's where it's headed. That's where it was always headed. It was one step at a time. Had to get the expanded playoff first and agree to this ratchety half-and-half system, which was never going to stand because we all, well, we all, they all knew conference realignment was going to blow that entire process up. Conference realignment has come. It has blown the entire concept of having six uh, auto-bid spots for conference champs up. And if you're new to this, all that means is there are 12 playoff spots in 2024 and 25. Those are the two years on this this current deal. There are going to be 12 playoff spots. Six of them are reserved for the highest-ranked conference champs. The other six are just whoever's rated the highest gets in. Uh, Greg Sankey, Tony Petiti up in the Big Ten, they have pretty much sucked all the oxygen out of the college football room, and they've got most of the power brands in college football. They may not be done, and they're looking around saying, wait, if all, we've got all the good teams, why would we ever agree to a format that gives opportunity that we don't think is deserved to some other conference champ, just because just cause they won an inferior conference. And hey, on principle, I agree with them. I just hate that the sport came to this. So that's the first thing Greg Sankey said today. Check mark number one. But he wasn't done validating what we talked to you about last week. Also last week, Pac-12 just imploded, as I've said several times now, in on itself like a dying star. And as the Pac-12 was imploding, nobody really liked it, did they? At least as far as I could tell, no one really liked it. Now, remember, at the time, everyone was kind of downtrodden. I say everyone. A vast majority of people I heard from, college football fans, did not like what happened last week. Well, I actually tried to be the ray of sunshine for you. We did the old fireside chat the other night to rave reviews, so we will bring it back. Not today, because the studio is already hot enough, but we will bring it back. But I told you guys and girls, I told you, that people heard you. I told you folks heard you complaining. 
I told you the powers that be, those string pullers behind the scenes, some of them visible, some of them totally anonymous, realized, whoa, we may have kicked over a much bigger anthill than we thought here. They're always used to a little criticism. Okay, when they re-engineer the sport to small degrees incrementally to ultimately fit their college worldview, they're used to you chirping a little bit. But that's all it is. It's a little chirping. They know you're still going to show up. They know you're still going to buy the merch. They know you're still going to watch the game, subscribe to the packages, etc. They have never heard you collectively as pissed off as you were last week, and it was pretty much nationwide. Like No one liked it. These people got rattled behind the scenes. I know. I talked to some of them. They got rattled. But what helped was Greg Sankey today on the Paul Feinbaum show flat out saying, yes, we've had our part in conference realignment in the SEC, and I will take the fault for that if there's fault to be had. But he said, paraphrasing, it felt different last week. Really? Did it feel different? Like, yeah, I bet it did feel different last week. You know what folks need, don't you? The most greedy folks in the world need what they are acquiring to maintain its value. Otherwise, it's just greed for greed's sake. And if you are a rights holder, if you're a stakeholder, if you're a commissioner, if you're a television executive, notice I'm not talking about fans and players. We really play no part in this. But if you are one of those entities, you better make sure that product maintains its value. It'd be short-sighted to think folks would never walk away from this sport. Now, I'm not walking away because I think we're a long, long way from the sport going over the cliff. But that's just the thing. Smart, sage business people understand you don't hit the brakes once you get to the slippery slope. You hit the brakes well before it. Now, this is a sport totally void of centralized leadership right now. College football is basically like me at Harris County Carver Middle School back in sixth grade when one of our teachers had to take an indefinite leave of absence. And Mr. Copeland comes in, bless his heart, substitute teacher for weeks. You know what it's like to have a substitute teacher for an extended period of time near the end of the school year? It's like a carnival every day. It's wonderful for the student. Well, in college athletics, that's what we've had. Substitute teacher vibes. No one's really in charge. You can get away with pretty much anything you want to. It, unfortunately, in this sport, shooting a rubber band at your friend's ear or throwing a spitball against the TV is, hey, let's just go acquire some properties. Hey, let's implode a conference. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's the problem. Eventually, seventh grade comes for most of us. Lost some good men along the way in that sixth grade class. But seventh grade ultimately comes. And in college football, ultimately, you got to make sure that those properties you're acquiring and the overall property itself that you're enriching yourself off of maintains its value. And if people walk away, it doesn't maintain its value. It doesn't succumb to it overnight, but eventually it does. They realized it last week. I told you, a lot of these folks are average people. Now, Sankey's not an average person. He also puts his face behind his comments, notice. But there are a lot of average people that are benefiting from this system right now. And those average people scare easily. And they got scared last week. Uh, Greg Sankey is speaking what hundreds and hundreds of them are feeling behind the scenes. So you may not think you were heard last week. I told you you were heard. He's confirming you were heard. And that's one publicly saying what a lot of them have said privately. Again, I have spoken to them off the record. They know it. They know it. So if you want to sleep a little easier tonight, at least know that you were heard. I don't know what more I can give you to start the show tonight. I appreciate you guys being tuned in. Okay, now let's talk football. And if it sounds like I'm talking a little bit faster, this is not my Jimbo Fisher impression. I just know that we have so much in the show tonight. This would be like a triple stuff Oreo if it was on the Nabisco snack aisle. 
let's go Camp Intel. I got some stuff around the SEC and I got some stuff nationally, but I want to start in the SEC here. Down at LSU, you know, we've talked all spring and summer about how they had to essentially go to the transfer portal to restock their defensive back room. Several defensive back transfers. We talked to Brian Kelly at SEC Media Days about it. Is it going to work out? Don't know. That's, that's why God invented fall camp. But Deuce Chestnut is a player out of that portal class. you got four of them. Denver Harris, Zy Alexander, uh, J.K. Johnson. Deuce Chestnut was a junior, 81st overall player in the portal, 15th overall corner. Really good coverage skills he's showing off early down there. He's from Syracuse, 5'11", 205. And he transferred in, and it, it can't be just him. It's got to be several of them pan out. But he's looked good. Others are going to need good scrimmages down there, and he will as well. That's ultimately where all of this will get decided. A lot of you asked me what I thought about the fight at LSU's practice yesterday. Well, believe it or not, I wasn't there. Uh, But LSU won the fight. No, it didn't work, Colin. No one laughed in here. It didn't work. I don't care about fights in fall camp. I care about five of them. I don't care about a fight in fall camp. Next up, let's go over to Gainesville. Graham Mertz is going to be the starting quarterback here. I'm going to say it again once we switch the B-roll so we can actually use this. My bad, Colin. All right, here we go. Graham Mertz is going to be the starting quarterback in Gainesville, Florida. This is not a mystery to anyone. Remember Billy Napier, when they got him from Wisconsin, said he evaluated every quarterback in the portal. This is the guy that he chose to go after. And he reiterated, there's no N in reiterate, he reiterated that at SEC Media Days when he sat down with us. Uh, Who's he throwing the ball to? Because that's, that's, Part of the equation there. Who's going to start at quarterback? That's not really been much of a mystery, I don't think. But what they're going to have at quarterback or what they're going to have at wide receiver, that has been a bit more of a mystery. Uh, It's an unproven unit. I always hesitate to say thin because there could be talent there that you just don't know about. It happens in college all the time. Um, But it's going to be unproven talent. And therefore, consistency is going to be an issue. It was always going to be this way in fall camp. It has been so far. Uh, Billy Gonzalez is the wide receivers coach down there. I can't imagine that guy has much of a voice when he goes home at night. They're going to need some unproven underclassmen to step up. Now, here's what's interesting. You know their win total's five and a half. I was doing radio down in Jacksonville today, and we were talking about the divergent paths that the Florida season could take. On one hand, they could, they could be inferior, and they could track right along that trajectory of five or six wins, and that would be losing to Utah. No, that would be losing to Tennessee. That would be losing to one or both of Kentucky and South Carolina. But if you, if you just get average play, okay, non-mistake prone, above average to average play at quarterback and at wide receiver early on, think about how the dominoes could fall that are out of your control. You don't know if Utah is going to have health at quarterback. You don't know how Joe Milton's going to handle his first road game being the swamp. You don't know that. So things could break several ways for them. Uh, consistency at the receiver position. Keep an eye on it. Okay, next up, our buddy Trey Biddy. Just anytime you ask the guy for an inch, he gives you a mile over at hogsports.com. If you're not subscribed there and you're an Arkansas fan, what, do you not have internet? So Biddy hits us up and he said, you, you need to be paying attention to the defensive line situation over here. And so you dig into that a little bit. They have got, they have got incredible size and depth at Arkansas along the defensive line of scrimmage, at least. They got nine seniors on this D-line. They're three deep across the entire front, probably the deepest uh, that you guys at Arkansas have seen uh, maybe in your lifetime up there. Now, 
that is a far cry from, from what we were talking about with this team just a couple of years ago. It's the biggest, I think, and, and Biddy reiterated this, biggest and deepest defensive line they think they've had up there. But also, Isaiah Sategna is a slot receiver that you just, need to, you just need to earmark his name. You know, if you're looking to get yourself a little bit of an edge, he had three catches, 95 yards, two touchdowns back in the spring game. Yeah, 5'11", 180. I think he's, yeah, he's a redshirt freshman. Uh, if, you, if you're looking for guys to emerge, this is going to be a run-heavy offense, but if you're looking for guys to emerge, slot receiver Isaiah Sategna, they like him up there. What about Texas A&M? I was just talking about receivers for a second. Um, I'm going to say a sentence that I don't know that it's wise for me to say this early, but I'll say it anyway. Could we be sleeping on Texas A&M's wide receiver room? If you are sleeping on them, I know why. I get it. I get it. I get it. However, there is a world where the offensive moves they made lead to better offensive production. It leads to more efficient quarterback play, and it leads to everything from better play calling to better in-game flow. Rhythmically, everything looks right. Timing is much better. Um, If that's the case, you understand... We got Evan Stewart out here. We got Moose Muhammad out there. Anaya Smith is there. Noah Thomas is a four-star true freshman that has drawn rave reviews out there so far from folks we've talked to. They've also got a replenished and really good tight end room, probably an underrated tight end room. Uh, They have got really good pass catchers. If I put this group of pass catchers in Tuscaloosa, folks would be speaking much more highly of them. The only reason you're not is a good reason. A&M hadn't taken advantage of the skill they've had at that position. So it's a great big if. The I and the F, both in all caps. Um, what could we see? What could we see from the Texas A&M wide receiver room? Remains to be seen. And uh, Noah Thomas is a sophomore, by the way. Thank you for that, Jesse. They almost got us. They had us in the first half. I'm not going to lie. What about Ole Miss? We could have we pulled the clip, but it would have been... It would have been tasteless for us to pull the clip of us telling you this kid was going to be a stud, even though he's turning into a stud. Santorin Perkins, just a friendly reminder. Alabama wanted this kid bad. It's a five-star linebacker out of Raleigh, Mississippi. They got a Philadelphia and a Raleigh over there in Mississippi. Well, they also had a stud linebacker, and he committed to Ole Miss. And he is going to stand out at Ole Miss. And it's only a matter of time. Folks who have observed practice over there say, yeah, there's a kid here. Uh, strange first name. Perkins, I think, is his last name. Yeah, he looks different than everyone else out there. I know he does. He did last year. He could have walked on campus as a high school senior last year and looked different. So that's happening. Jackson Dart is running with the ones at quarterback. That's happening. Scrimmages are about to happen. So moves are going to be made in Oxford. So that's what's going on in the SEC. Okay, now we take our first sip from the chalice tonight. Good timing, good tempo so far. But we got to maintain the energy because, frankly, I think we started to drag a little bit towards the end of last show. Camp Intel continues. Ohio State had a situation last year where they looked loaded at running back. Then injuries happen, as is the case sometimes in college football, and they were tested by injury. Luckily, they had... C.J. Stroud, they had what they have this year, a loaded wide receiver room, so it wasn't the end of the world. However, they don't have C.J. Stroud this year. All eyes are on the quarterback battle up there, but that's why it's a big deal that Travion Henderson's good to go, Mayan Williams is good to go, Evan Pryor, good to go. Need to keep them healthy, because there could very well be a case there 
just like there could be a case at Bama, just like early on Penn State could have to really lean on their stable of running backs until they ultimately sort of get the, get the quarterback position up to whatever cruising altitude is going to be. Uh, that is a group in that Ohio State running back room that when they're healthy should be able to take over games, should be able to. Now, when they start scrimmaging up there, what you want to listen for over on Bucknuts, for example, you want to listen for how that offensive line held up. Did they control the line of scrimmage? Because they're playing against one of the best defensive fronts they'll play against all year in practice. So how are they controlling the line of scrimmage? Um, are, are, they, are they able to effectively run the ball? Is ball control an issue? Is pass pro an issue? Because that's going to determine who's on the field. And ultimately, you never know, man. You never know. If you go to Notre Dame early in the season, and it's just a dogfight of a game, and whoever's starting for you, Kyle McCord, let's say, starting a quarterback, it's just it's a bunch of three and outs early. You can't find your rhythm. It's approaching halftime. You've run 17 total plays, and you just got to start pounding it. Can you do it? Can you go on the road and win games running the ball? Uh, that's what to watch there. Also, JTT, defensively, looking a lot better, consistently looking a lot better probably than a year ago. Next up, been really interested in this quarterback position this quarterback battle, not a controversy, a battle at UCLA. And Ethan Garbers has been there a while. He transferred from Washington back in 2021. So he's been there. He's a redshirt junior. He's been in Chip Kelly's system. And sort of the default thinking has been, okay, Dante Moore's the five-star true freshman. Maybe he wins the job. If he doesn't, you can fall back on Garbers. And Colin Schley's also a transfer there. So basically, good talent and good insurance. Uh, you can always tell who's running with the ones with Chip Kelly by who's wearing the helmet cam because they've got a quarterback wearing a helmet cam in practice. Ethan Garbers is wearing the helmet cam. And so Ethan Garbers, we believe, would start for them if they had to play a football game today. Now, there's also been bubbling just beneath the surface some really hot rumors, dare I say innuendo in rumors, about Dante Moore and whether he's happy at UCLA and whether there's an NIL issue. All I can do is go on the man's word. And Dante Moore says, nothing to it. I'm ready to go. Let's play ball. And so with that in mind, I don't think this is decided. Far from over. So Ethan Garbers right now, QB1. Those transfer wide receivers, though, J. Michael, or J. Michael Sturdivant, big-time impact guy, hopefully for them. Um, Kyle Ford, big-time impact guy, hopefully for them. They're relying on transfers a lot. It could be a good team. Could be a really good team. There's a lot of could be. It's the, it's the first and second week of August. A lot of could be right now. What about Minnesota? You know what we did two weeks ago? We went up to Indianapolis. We sat down with P.J. Fleck, and he was ultra excited about his team, and there's a good reason. First, we got to figure out who's starting at quarterback for him. Now, I'm going to take this nice and slow immunity. Ethan, not Ethan, Ethan Kaliakmanis is my best guess on the pronunciation of the last name right now. That's a redshirt sophomore quarterback for them. Looks like he's going to be their starter. Cole Kramer's up there as well. This is not decided yet, but it looks like Ethan Kaliakmanis is going to be the starter there. Now, he, he, he played last year. Like, he had a very, very subpar performance statistically against Penn State, but he was 19 of 29, 319 through the air, two touchdowns against Wisconsin. Producer Jesse and I, watched some of that game today and um flashes r really flashes that hopefully you would see become consistent performance this year so minnesota are going to be a player up there in the west pretty much everyone is keep an eye on that quarterback race at clemson 
I've, I've been very interested in Peter Woods. Peter Woods was a five-star defensive lineman out of the Birmingham area that they just flat-out beat Alabama for. And he's already working in there too deep on the defensive line. Now, that's not shocking because he's a talented kid who's walking into a position room where they just lost three premier guys to the NFL draft. So I, my question with him and with Clemson, which we're going to talk about a lot later on, is not do they have talent there. It's, it's never about that. They're going to have names. A program of that stature is always going to have names you remember from recruiting. But names does not always equal depth. They've got to have proven guys. They've got to have guys prove themselves, rather. And Peter Woods, is, even though he's a true freshman, he's going to have to be a key player, at least in terms of depth providing, on this team this year. That's a team that is the preseason favorite to win the conference. They've got to have guys like him step up. It's not the most ideal situation, but that's the way college football works. Uh, Boston College, A.J. Black over at EagleInsider.com, talking about the offensive line. They never had the same five starters on the offensive line last year at Boston College. Do you realize that? So quantum improvement for them throughout at least part of fall camp so far. And, um, man, it's, people forget about programs like Boston College. The other thing is Zay Flowers, whatever role he played in the offense, Ryan O'Keefe is a wide receiver to keep an eye on with Boston College. And A.J. Black and the guys over at EagleInsider.com do a good job on them. Uh, Virginia Tech, I wanted to talk to you for just a second. Evan Watkins over at VTScoop.com does a great job for us covering Virginia Tech. Nothing on the quarterback battle up there yet. But the wide receiver room had to be overhauled. And it looks much better through a few practices. They got three transfers running out there. They got a true freshman running out there. And, um, you know, prayers emoji that that wide receiver room looks a whole lot better this year. Uh, Wake Forest, bad news. Donovan Green would have been their top overall receiver this year. It looks like he's out three to five months with a knee injury. So there's a lot going on, folks. A lot going on. That is Camp Intel, the way Camp Intel should be delivered. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue and guess what now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from progressive it works just the way it sounds 
You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. If you want things delivered right to your house, go to Academy.com. You want a football? You want a, you want a hockey goal? You want a basketball goal? You want a grill? Academy.com. Now look, I prefer you go there in person. Academy Sports and Outdoors is your one-stop shop for all things outdoor sporting goods. Plus, they are our friends. They're, they're, yes, they are a partner. They have been for a long time. They're our friends. And they are always there for you. And they've been there for us ever since we pretty much started this show. So Academy Sports and Outdoors has our back. They got your back. I, look, I know a lot of you drive by it and you just never made it a point to go in, go in. No one ever is underwhelmed at an Academy Sports and Outdoors. Uh, this is not like Star Wars, okay? You go in that place, you're going to be overwhelmed. You're not going to be underwhelmed. I haven't watched it yet. I just have a few buddies who are constantly on me about it, so I'm blindly hating on Star Wars. I actually haven't watched it. I'm open to the idea. I'm open to it. Settle down. I just haven't done it yet, but I have gone to Academy Sports and Outdoors, and I'm a much better person for it, and you can be too. If you can't get there in person, academy.com is there for you. Appreciate you guys being tuned in live. Make sure you like this video, because less than a third of you have right now, and I just, I think it'd be nice if you liked the video. That means clicking the thumbs up button. That's, that's all that means. Okay. We still have so much to go. Steve Sarkeesian is on the show tonight. Steve Sarkeesian. Head coach at Texas is going to join the show. We've never had him on the show. And that changes in like 20 minutes. What if? What if time? We've reached chapter 20 of what ifs, and we're going right to South Bend, Indiana to start it tonight. Hey, what if, what if Notre Dame just makes the playoff? That's what AJ wants to know. What if the Irish make the playoff? And, and producer Jesse, we're putting this together today, and Jesse said, hey, what if Notre Dame makes the playoff and they face LSU? And then I come in and I say, well, let me do you one better. What if the playoff was Notre Dame versus LSU and USC versus Oklahoma? There are people who have never watched a college football game in their lives that just watch daytime soap operas and dramas that would come to college football playoff tables for that. So anyway, that's not what AJ suggested. I just went down a rabbit hole there. They could be. Notre Dame could be the college football playoff havoc team this year. Now they got an over-under win total of eight and a half. They're plus 750 in odds to make the college football playoff. But if they do actually make it, who were the victims? There have to be multiple victims here. Remember, and you need to plug your ears for a second. Those of you who don't think they play a tough schedule, plug your ears. Dirty talk here. Immunity. They play Ohio State. Did they beat the Buckeyes? They play USC at home. Did they beat the Trojans? They go to Clemson. Did they beat Clemson? Did they beat all three of them? Even if they just beat two of three, think how big a deal that is. They got two of the three at home, by the way. And so we find ourselves there. If they're in the playoff, we find ourselves with Marcus Freeman having stock just go through the roof. We find Sam Hartman, dare I say, possibly maybe in the Heisman conversation. I'd have to think so if they're in the playoff. And dude, I, I, don't, know, I don't know that I could put in strong enough terms how high America would be on Marcus Freeman if Notre Dame makes the playoff in year two for him. And, and it's just a bonus if LSU's there. I can't even imagine. What do you think Brian Kelly would be asked at media day? I don't know. I can't even imagine. Next up, 
Now, this one's wild. This is not a bold prediction, but it is a what if. Cody said, what if Travis Hunter is an all-conference player on both sides of the ball? So Travis Hunter, remember, number one player in America in 2022's recruiting cycle. He was the number one player in the transfer portal, leaving Jackson State, followed Dion to Colorado, probably going to play both ways this year. Now, if you tell me he's all Pac-12 at corner, not only am I not surprised, I expect it, actually. But you tell me he's going both ways all conference? That, I don't think that's happening. And I don't think it's happening because I don't think he's a good enough receiver in a, in a conference that deep at receiver. This is not 3A ball in Connecticut. And, and this is a great player. Travis Hunter's a great player. But to do that stuff at the college level, quote unquote, even in the Pac-12, I got more respect for the conference than some of you do this year, at least. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. So if this were a bold prediction, it would be like a 9.9. But if anyone's going to do it, you're probably looking at the player there because I don't think any other player's going to have the opportunity to do it. Next up, we're going to Manhattan, Kansas. What if, and that's the name of the game here, of course, Sean asks, what if Kansas State goes back-to-back as Big 12 champ? Well, Chris Kleiman would be a rock star. Kind of already is to some people out there. He would get a couple of looks. The first look he would get is maybe his own statue in the not-too-distant future in Manhattan, Kansas. And the other look he would get would be from major programs. He just signed a new deal. That never stops anyone. Um, so that's, that's on the personal front for climbing. But also, think about where Kansas State would be. They're a, they're a back-to-back Big 12 champ. And then Texas know you leave. And so in the question or the conversation of who's going to be the alpha dog out here after those two leave, well, maybe they were right in front of your eyes the whole time. Maybe it's that, that purple and white team there in Kansas. Also, let's not overlook this year. If they win the conference, are they in the playoff? Is Kansas State in the playoff? And if they are, then you start to ask yourself, how valuable was that beat down they toted at the hands of Alabama in the Sugar Bowl last year? Because we've seen teams that, that get run when they play those elite rosters, but it benefits them in the future. Well, if Kansas State finds themselves in the playoff or playoff picture again this year, maybe there was a positive that came from an otherwise negative afternoon there in New Orleans. And lastly, in the way of what-ifs tonight, hmm, this would be a mess in the Big Ten, and I could see this happening too. Rico said, what if Michigan's 11-1, but they don't make the Big Ten title game? I wonder who they lost to. Did they lose to Ohio State? Did they make it undefeated all the way to rivalry week and lose to Ohio State? Did they go to Penn State and lose? I got to think that's where one of the losses or the only loss came from. I mean, all due respect to Rutgers, I don't think the fighting Lance Waynes are going in there in week four and, and taking down Michigan. So, um, this, look, there's, there's this world out there. I had a dream, because I'm the kind of person who dreams about this stuff. I had a dream not too long ago that we had Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan all finish 11-1 and one in, this, in this round robin where they all lose to each other. And maybe that's what happened here. So Michigan, 11-1, and one, they don't go to the Big Ten title game. The obvious follow-up is, well, do they make the playoff anyway? And I hear a lot of you screaming right now. Absolutely not. They can't make the playoff because... As you can see on the screen here, Director Colin has provided a helpful graphic. Those numbers over there to the right, those are the preseason over-under win totals for the teams on Michigan's schedule. Here's what it sounds like. 
Uh, five and a half, five and a half, four and a half, three and a half, six and a half, seven and a half, three and a half, five and a half, five and a half, nine and a half, seven and a half, ten and a half. So their three toughest games, uh, at least three of the four, are right at the end of the year. But really, you got, you got two teams with a preseason win total over eight, and that's Penn State and Ohio State. If they lose to one of them, how strong is that schedule? Because you don't have a conference championship under your belt in this scenario. And so I don't, it's, no, it's no slam dunk there in the playoff if that happens. I promised you I was giving away Chalai tonight. Let me give away one. Uh, the other one I had to give away privately because one of you pulled something off that I would love to tell the story of on the air, but it was, it was such a high-level operation, I can't publicize it. But I can publicize this. Okay, so we give away these right here, liquid not included. Chalai of Supremacy. Chalai is the plural of chalice but you're only getting one. So we give away a chalice of supremacy every night on every show in August to people who don't buy them. They don't ask for them. They earn them through promoting our show publicly in a very, very grandiose way. This comes to us by way of Sean. Sean says, this weekend is my birthday, and my girlfriend took me and her family to the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. My birthday gift was a handmade poster of Late Kick in hopes that it would earn me a chalice of supremacy. I took the poster around the Hall of Fame told multiple staff members and fellow fans to follow the show on YouTube for some good, non-biased, hope you all heard that, college football analysis and insight. I've attached two of the photos I took. I hope to be considered to the ranks of Chalai of Supremacy winners. And he even spelled Chalai correctly. Well, Sean, need your shipping info because a Chalai or a Chalice of Supremacy is on the way. And that's how it's done, folks. Beautiful poster, by the way. Right there at the College Football Hall of Fame. We did one of our shows from there at the SEC title game. Thank you, Sean. And thank you, guys. All right, let's move it on. I got so, so many recruiting nuggets on the piece of paper in front of me. Ooh, we got a big announcement coming up. Okay, let's dive into this. We got Steve Sarkeesian in, oh, about seven minutes. If you want to go make yourself a hot pocket out there in DeSoto, Texas, he'll be on in about seven minutes. Recruiting on fire. Colin Simmons going to commit, and he's going to commit Thursday, 3 p.m. Eastern time on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Colin Simmons is the number one edge player in the composite ratings, uh, number four player overall. Actually, I'm looking at the graphic right now, and there are a lot of really good players at edge this year. He's 6'3", 225. He's from Duncanville, Texas. Those are the particulars. Miami's in this thing. Our thinking is it's an LSU-Texas battle. And I am in the 24-7 sports offices right now, and there is just mass hysteria and disagreement as to who leads for him. There's a, I got to be honest with you, there's a strong LSU contingent. And there's some very knowledgeable, plugged-in people in the building who think that Colin Simmons is going to commit to LSU on Thursday. I'm just not one of them. I think he's going to Texas. And I will see along with the rest of the world on Thursday. Uh, be that as it may, both of these programs are rolling in recruiting. This is going to be a major battle won by someone. And then the someone else who doesn't win it is just going to go on their message board five seconds later and say, long way to go until signing day, which is true. That's what I love about it. Dylan Stewart, let's talk about him. Now that he already committed to South Carolina, I just didn't get to mention anything on him. Five-star edge player from the Washington, D.C. area to South Carolina, 6'5", 235. South Carolina has landed five-star, really, really freak kind of athletes in back-to-back classes. Remember they landed Harbor, uh, the kid who 
who could have tripped and fallen and still won that track meet we showed you video of, they got the number 17 class in the country right now and climbing. South Carolina is very interesting. Their record just keeps getting a little bit better every year. Their, their overall recruiting ranking just keeps getting a little bit better every year. Uh, their graphics and editing and video just keeps getting a little bit better every year. I know those guys watch every show. Shout out, Mr. King and company. So, um, yeah, Dylan Stewart, man, big pickup for Shane Beamer. Also, Nate Frazier, at, that four-star running back, we had talked about him on the show before. He committed to Georgia. Georgia currently sits with the number one class in the country. Georgia also has an average player rating of 93.49. They have got 16 of the top 200 players in the country committed. Nate Frazier's a running back. I think I should mention their offensive line, if stacked next to each other, could probably guard the totality of the border between Georgia and South Carolina. They just span that wide. The smallest offensive lineman out of the half dozen they have committed to them is 6'5", 320. That's the smallest one. Not an average. That's the smallest one. So yeah, it appears that Kirby Smart is prepared to take physicality and running the football very seriously. What a stark change for the guys there in Athens. Uh, Dakota Fields, big flip that we just saw very recently. Dakota Fields flipped from USC to Oregon. So this is another California kid that Dan Landing and company go get, number nine corner in the country, uh, 6'2", 185. He's from Gardenia, California. Oregon's back in the top 10 now, again. And I always remind you, and now I can just publicly remind you, I've been saying this in the office for a while, I can now publicly remind you, this team's going to the Big Ten. Let's start judging them against Big Ten teams. Oregon has an average commitment rating of 90.79 right now. That would be good for number two in the Big Ten. Told you a couple of months ago, and some of you laughed. I'm going to tell you again. They are going to be one of the premier recruiters in the Big Ten the day they step in the conference. And it will probably only help them that they're in the conference. So Oregon is rolling. And we had another big flip today. And uh, that one was in the SEC. Peyton Woodyard flipped from Georgia to Alabama. Big-time safety, four-star kid, 6'2", 188. He's from SoCal. So yet again, what do, I, what do I always tell you? What is the key to injecting some competitive balance into the sport? Stop letting Southern Florida and Southern California kids go to Southeastern Conference schools. You had Georgia and Alabama fighting over a kid from, where was he, John Bosco? Isn't that where he's from, Jesse? Yeah, yes, so from, from, from Southern California. Um, not ideal for our friends out West, but for Georgia and Alabama, it's kind of old hat that they fight over kids from Powder Springs. They fight over kids from Rancho Cucamongo. It's just nationwide. And it's a fight between the same few programs every time. Bama has four commits in their secondary from top 20 DBs right now, really loading up on that secondary class. So I know you guys are plugged in fall camp right now, and I know you're plugged into previews and predictions, conference realignment. Remember we got a bunch of recruiting going on as well. So just it's like pancakes. You're stacking on top of each other. You know what I did today? I came in the office a little bit early. I had two things on my agenda. Number one, I had a very important meeting about the Pate State store. Wait till you see some of this product. Anyway, that's not happening right now. Uh, what is happening right now is Steve Sarkeesian said, yeah, I'll come on the show. 
when can you have me? Well, earlier this afternoon we had him. They're practicing as we speak, so I didn't want Sark mic'd up uh, in their first padded practice in Austin. But we did get him earlier today. Without further ado, here is Steve Sarkeesian, head coach at Texas. Texas head coach Steve Sarkeesian joining us here on Late Kick. You guys are about to be right back in the middle of padded practice here, so you start to learn a lot about the team. I've always been curious about this. Preview Magazine's out there, and we talk about what we expect. But as a head coach, when do you first start to get like a real read on what you have as a team? When you get to December and it turns out the way it does, when did you start to figure out, hey, that's probably the way we're going? Well, I mean, I, I think naturally you start, you get that first inkling in spring ball, right? You you find out about kind of, you know, guys when they come back for the next season and just kind of where they're at from a mentality standpoint, um, new leadership needs to step up, how you're going to start to fill roles. Um, and then in the summer, I think is when you really start to to get a gauge for it, especially now with the, with the new rules where you can work with them a couple hours a week. Um, and you start to see the culture start to form and the leadership, uh, the work ethic that, that it takes in, in summer conditioning. Um, and then when you get back to here now to training camp and you start to see the growth, like I talked to the team about, you know, I'm not trying to hold anybody to what they were a year ago or the way they performed in spring practice, because everybody should be improving. And if we're, if we're all improving, then we should have been made, you know, really, really good growth from last season this past spring, even this summer, uh, to where you feel good about it. And that, that's something for me that's been exciting. I really feel like every player on our team has, has improved their play and it continues to improve it. I know from where I sit, the roster looks night and day different than when you got there, but also um, the feel of like the Texas infrastructure, the recruiting infrastructure, like everything going on out there energy-wise from the outside feels different. So from your standpoint, which is the only standpoint that matters, the day you got there to today, how night and day different does that place feel? Well, it feels like hours now, you know, and that, and again, and I, that's not knocking anybody. Every, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat in this profession, whether it's recruiting, developing your players, the schemes you run. Um, but ultimately, we all, you know, you come in with a plan and, and you try to implement it. And year one, you feel like you're, you're, you're trying to coach everybody on how you want it to go, whether it's recruiting, whether it's media. Um, whether it's player development in the weight room, whether it's nutrition, whether it's your scheme, um, and then you're trying to build depth and what does your depth look like in year one and the players that fit your scheme for the style of play. By the time you get to year three, you know, if, you, if you're doing it right and you're consistent with your approach to things, we should be pretty dialed in on recruiting. We should be pretty dialed in in our player development in the weight room and, and how, we, how we rehab and recover players. And we should be pretty dialed in schematically um, of, of the way we go about our business and the way we practice. And so uh, it does feel different. And you feel like the players are, like I've touched on, I don't think at this point now we can say the players are bought into what we're doing, right? You were trying to get that buy-in in year one. In year three, now I feel like our players are contributing to our culture and what we're about, and they're elevating kind of who we are. You just mentioned something there. Um, I'd love for you to go deeper in this. So anytime we talk to coaches at the end of the year, the ones that are headed to the conference championship game or the playoff, they always talk about how their teams became player-led teams. And in some cases, that's from spring on. You were talking about just an overall program there. It goes from telling people what you want it to be to the people inside the program, administratively, staff, players, actively contributing to it. When do you feel that hourglass start to kind of shift? Or when did you feel it at Texas? 
Well, I felt it last year. I mean, I really felt it at the end of our first year when, you know, we, we were went through a rough stretch in your, my, my first year here. And there was a lot of tough losses and, and we lost a tough game. And I'll never forget Roshan Johnson standing up in the locker room and he asked to speak to the team and, and really to everybody in the organization that was in the locker room. And, and at that point, you could feel a shift. Like no longer was it just me trying to say what we needed to be the players started to speak it. And I think that bled into last season. Um, you know, Roshan was a tremendous leader. Bijan was a tremendous leader. DeMarvion Overshone. The beauty of this year um, is I don't know if necessarily we have leaders like them or as good as them or whatever, however you want to call it, but we have more people in that, in that space. And how do we get there? All the players that are here in year three in this program since I got here chose to stay, right? We're, we're living in this world of transfer portal. Um, but all those guys, the Jalen Fords, the Jordan Whittington, the Christian Jones, the, the Jaron Thompsons, the Alfred Collins, the Byron Murphys, those guys started to believe in what we brought to the program. They signed up for something different, but they're believing in what we're doing. Then the younger players were players that we signed that, that believed in what we were doing and said, I want to go do that. And so now you really feel a locker room full of guys that are committed to, to what we do and how we do and why we do what we do. Um, and so we have more people speaking the same language. I think at the end of the day, you know, as coaches, we try to set an expectations and a standard for how things should be done. Well, now the players understand what those expectations are and they're speaking to the standard and, and what it's going to take. And then when somebody's not meeting that standard, they're holding guys accountable to it. It's funny when I, I turn on any kind of show or I'll crack open any magazine, everyone who talks about Texas, they're talking about the receiver room, they're talking about the offense, they're talking about quarterback, which I'm fascinated in as well. But what's funny is when we've talked about Texas on this show, I'm interested in the secondary when you guys got Catalan. I, I was at the Cincinnati-Arkansas game last year. He goes down week one, and it was a huge blow for Arkansas. And you guys have gotten him... And folks close to the program, they, they keep telling you, watch Catalan. As he goes, maybe that secondary goes. Um, what kind of depth do you think you guys have in the secondary? And, and if you just if you thread the health needle and everything goes as you would love it to, what kind of unit could you have there overall? I really like our secondary. You know, when, A, I'll talk about Catalan first. You know, what a great addition to our team, never mind just our secondary. You know, he comes with the real intent every single day. Um, he's very mature. He's very meticulous in his approach. The passion is there. The communication is there. Um, and then the playmaking is there. And I, I think obviously there's a level of physicality to his play that you have to have at safety that he definitely plays with. Uh, but we're returning three starters there as well. And Ryan Watts, uh, you know, Jaron Thompson and Jade Barron. And Jade has been a fantastic player for us at nickel. Um, a guy who's been a playmaker in the run game, the pass game, creating turnovers. Um, but we have a lot of really good young players too. Terrence Brooks really came on uh, at the end of last season. We had an addition and a, a transfer in um, Gavin Holmes from Wake Forest, who was a two-year starter there. Um, you look at a couple kind of high-level recruits in uh, Derek Williams at safety, uh, Malik Muhammad at corner, and and then you you know Jalen Gilbo actually was starting ahead of Jade Barron last year before a season-ending injury, so he's back not to mention a lot of other faces. So I like the depth. I like the mix of veteran players and the leadership they provide, but I also like some of the youth and the playmaking ability that they provide. 
when you guys got A.D. Mitchell, it raised a lot of eyebrows in the SEC because people had watched A.D. Mitchell in flashes, and they, they always thought to themselves, if he were in maybe a different offense, maybe those flashes would be year-long. And now he's part of a receiver room I think it's pretty versatile and also pretty deep. Do you have that receiver room where you want it now in year three? I really like that room. You know, at the end of the day, I, I think that w- we've put a lot on Xavier Worthy for two years. You know, when he came in as a true freshman, that, there was a lot on his plate. Um, and he handled it and he took it and he had to know everywhere and move everywhere. Um, and there was a lot and he played a lot of snaps and a lot of reps and Jordan Whittington as well. I think now with the, with the addition of A.D. Mitchell, getting in a healthy Isaiah Nair, who we missed last year, who transferred from Wyoming, uh, the addition of a Jonte Cook, um, the, the, the kind of steady play of Casey Kane being back, and then DeAndre Moore, Ryan Niblett. We, we've got a really talented room, I think one that where we can spread the field a little bit more, one that where guys aren't feeling like um, I have to be the one to make the play, and Xavier's got to beat double coverage every play because – A.D. Mitchell's a good player. Jordan Whittington's a good player. Isaiah Nair's a good player. Um, you know, Jonte Cook can be a player. Not to mention, you know, how are you going to defend J.T. Sanders? And so, ultimately, historically for me, when when we've had our best offenses, um, we've been able to deploy people across the field that that make it difficult for you to kind of pin down and hone in on. Uh, and in turn, the ball can get spread out when the quarterback knows to go with it, go with the ball. Uh, guys can make plays in space because they're getting those one-on-one matchups. I'll get you out of here on this. Texas head coach Steve Sarkeesian, go all the way back. First time someone ever gave you the opportunity to be a head coach all the way to today in 2023. What's the one thing that's changed the most about you, your approach, your philosophy as a head coach? Um, I think the, the, the probably the biggest thing is just diving into the players, you know, really having a, a connection with the players. You know, when when I was a young head coach, uh, at the University of Washington, it was about how am I going to squeeze every ounce of juice out of these guys and and how are we going to win? And it was so focused on winning and and, and kind of result-oriented, if, if you want to call it that way. And now I think my connection with the players is such that, you know, how do I, how do I pour into them in a way that is not always about just football, uh, but about life and the impact that I can have on these guys Uh, on a daily basis to where we can develop that trust uh, connection uh, that ultimately will then pour into the way we play. And if we do it the right way and we play really well, we'll get the results that we're looking for. So I think that's probably been the biggest change is just connection with our players. Uh, And a lot of that for some guys starts in the recruiting process. Uh, For some of the guys, it's, it's when they're here, especially the guys that you inherit. But inevitably, I think now I look back on my time um, it's not having a connection with a handful of guys on this team. I feel like I've got a connection with, with all 120, you know, and, and I try to be really intentional about that. Texas head coach, Steve Sarkeesian coach. It's a pleasure. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Josh. Appreciate it, buddy. So that's Steve Sarkeesian. I got a, an unfortunate story on my end to tell you about what happened before that interview. I saw Philip in the live chat here. He said the chalice never runneth dry, which is a lie, Philip. Watch this right here. Mm. Yeah, we drained it already. That's how packed the show's been tonight. So anyway, I get in here about 3 o'clock today. We're going to talk to Sark. Had a couple minutes to chat beforehand. He tells me about this new espresso machine they got in the office, which is an essential for any college football office or recruiting department, etc. And it made me recount to him in, in humbling and humiliating fashion what happened when I first moved to Nashville. I've told this story before. 
I moved here, was not a coffee drinker at all. And yet I was working long hours. And so they had a coffee machine. This was down in Brentwood. We weren't even downtown yet. We were down in Brentwood, about 15 minutes south of Nashville. So I start drinking the coffee, but I didn't know anything about coffee. I was as ignorant as ignorant could be about coffee. So I thought espresso was a kind of coffee. So I start going up to that machine and I kept pressing the espresso button and it would shoot out shots of espresso. I thought I just had to press the espresso button a whole lot until it filled up the cup. And I'm ingesting, unbeknownst to me, like five to 600 milligrams of raw caffeine every time I'm drinking a cup of that. And so, you know, like Meredith, our, our office administrator at the time, would walk over and ask me to sign something. And I'd be like this right here. And I would sign it. And uh, so Bud Elliott comes up from Orlando one day. I forgot what he was in town for, but he watches me and he says, hey, what you doing there? I said, oh, I'm getting an espresso. He said, what you going to put it in? I said, a cup. And he said, no, 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 no. What kind of drink are you going to put the espresso in? And I said, bud, espresso is the drink. And he said, oh, no. Oh, oh, baby, what is you doing? No, no, no. And it was only then that I learned that I was, I was probably going to die within the next one or two weeks if I kept doing that. So congrats to Sark for the espresso machine. Good luck to Texas this year. We appreciate him coming on the show. I didn't think I would ever tie those two things together, but I did. Uh, we're not done yet. We got more show left to go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're in record prediction season. That's what August is about. It's about fall camp. It is about learning depth charts. And it's about understanding what the best case, worst case, and most likely record projections are for your team. And tonight we're doing Clemson. Garrett Riley is an important name here. That was the offensive coordinator at TCU last year. They literally go to the national championship. And now Dabo pulled off, I thought, the biggest blockbuster assistant coaching hire of the cycle. He got Garrett Riley. Total inflection point for this program this year. I don't think I'm telling you anything your local preview magazine's not telling you, but they're right. This is an inflection point because the thing about it is we've seen Clemson win a whole lot. And then we've seen them not drop off a cliff, but come back to earth just slightly the last few years. For example, Clemson, um, post-it pop, Clemson has more losses the last three years than the previous six years combined. So yeah, there's been a little regression there. That's to be expected. That's not the end of the world. They think they've righted the ship there. They think they made the necessary moves. Now you start to find out, do they have the culture to sort of re-elevate themselves to the top? Or... Or was it more a product of having a Brent Venables or a Tony Elliott? Was it more a product of, of having elite pieces? And when they lose the elite pieces, they can't reload. They actually do have to try and rebuild. That's what an inflection point's all about. So 
We go into this year. Here's the way we do it on this show. Best case first. Best case record for Clemson this year is 12-0. and If you're going to be favored in every game you play, which they're projected to be right now, your best case is an undefeated season. That's pretty cut and dry. This would include them obviously having the offensive acquisition of Garrett Riley pan out. Cade Klubnick kind of becomes this year's Max Duggan. That was the quarterback that Riley had there at TCU last year. Um, I think it would be very important in this scenario for Clemson to flex home muscle, which they don't get to do a lot. They're always really good at home, but they seldom have these massive national implication games at home. But they got them this year. They got FSU at home, game of the week in week four. They got Notre Dame at home, uh, November 4th. Huge game there. And so those two are two of their biggest ones. They're two of the tightest spreads they'll have all year. So they need to flex that home muscle. You got the revenge game at South Carolina at the end of the year. Wide receiver really needs to shine for them to go undefeated. A defensive line, that depth we talked about, needs to go from just names to proven production. If that happens, not crazy to suggest there's a 12-0 there for Clemson. Now, this is where it gets really, really sketchy. Dare I say sketch F. What is the worst case for Clemson this year? I had to go all the way down to 7-5. and five. You know, you heard me. I said worst case. 7-5 and five, uh, would be wild. That would be like earth-shattering. And it would kind of shake the foundation of the ACC in the process. But follow me here for just a second. So what if those names and depth along the defensive line don't pan out? So Clemson does not own the line of scrimmage defensively. What if at the same time, remember this is worst case scenario, at the same time, the Garrett Riley hire really isn't the spark that starts the fire again that you expect offensively. What if Kay Klubnick and, and Riley just never really mesh? What if, in other words, we see sort of a Josh Gaddis, Tyler Van Dyke thing like we saw at Miami last year? Remember how everyone was going to convince or was convinced that was going to be great and it just wasn't? It was a tire fire, actually. I got all the faith, hope, and confidence in the world in Garrett Riley. I'm just saying, if we're going to acknowledge best case, there's a worst case where that happens. They've been very portal resistant. What if that catches up to them? What if you're watching Clemson games and several of them are tight and they just can't flex their roster against you like they used to be able to? And also, there's something out of their control that plays into worst case, not just injury. That's always the case when it goes to the worst it could possibly be. What if the ACC collectively is just a little bit better? What if Miami's a little bit better than expected? What if um, Duke in week one is better than expected? Uh, they go to NC State as well. They got UNC, they got South Carolina, not a conference game, but if all that were to happen, there's a seven and five out there for Clemson. But that's not what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the most likely scenario. The most likely scenario for Clemson this year is 10 and two. I got them going 10 and two. Uh, my instinct is 11 and one because my instinct is when you have a little bit of a setback and then you make very radical change like Dabo Swinney did, pulling the lever on his own internally elevated hires and going with Garrett Riley, it's just instinct for me to say, all right, they'll be right back there in the title picture this year. And maybe they will be. They don't have the easiest of schedules this year, guys, especially if a few teams elevate. Like at Miami, at NC State before Notre Dame. If one or two of Miami and NC State are better than you expect, that's a really tough three-game stretch. They're coming out of the bye week. How many dominant position rooms does Clemson have? In the past, 
quarterback's been a slam dunk. Defensive line's been a slam dunk. There have been years where wide receiver was a slam dunk. I couldn't say that about any of those rooms right now. I could say it about linebacker. I think Clemson's got a dominant linebacker room. That's about it. You know what I mean when I say dominant. I mean elite. Not in terms of potential, in terms of what they are entering the season. I think they do have the potential. That's why I'm going 10-2. and two. Uh, But it's potential and potential only right now. I go back to this, though. I'm used to seeing them really flex their roster against folks and, and honestly be able to bring their B-minus game and win. And I just don't think that's the level this team's at this year. So in lieu of playing a bunch of A-minus football, there are enough questions that linger with them, and these are first-world questions, but enough questions that linger to where I do see a couple of losses out there. And with that in mind, I'm going 10-2 and two as the most likely record scenario for Clemson. Let's do some good old-fashioned bold predictions around here, shall we? Not about Clemson, but just about college football in general. Bold predictions, and these are the ones that you believe in so much that you have submitted them to me. First up, this would be ratings. Whew. Imagine this. Mike said the SEC title game is a matchup of undefeated teams. Mike hails from Coral Springs, Florida, by the way. Hey, when's the last time this happened? Anybody out there? Undefeated versus undefeated SEC title game. It was 09. It was Bama, Florida. Your boy was there, by the way. Does this have to be Georgia, Alabama this year? I think it does for this to happen, only because if it's undefeated versus undefeated, it can't be Tennessee because they play Georgia. Or it could be Tennessee, but if it's Tennessee, man, did they beat Georgia and Alabama? In which case, it has to be Tennessee versus LSU. So quickly, you see where it probably has to be Georgia, Bama, uh, maybe Georgia, LSU. But Alabama's probably the only roster I see over there in the West capable of going undefeated. LSU's a really good team, but going undefeated, wire to wire, that's a really tough task for anyone. This would be like a national title game. This would be one versus two, obviously. And it would, I'll tell you what it would do with all this playoff and realignment talk happening right now. It would probably lead to a lot of people, myself maybe included, saying, um, why are you playing this game? You know, I don't, I don't like that question, but since you gave us the expanded playoff era, I would take the step of saying, if this were next year especially, why are you playing this game? If you just canceled your conference title game, you got the number one and number two teams in the country. And uh, in 09, by the way, you were in the BCS era. The SEC actively cost themselves the chance at having both of their teams in the national title game by having a conference title game. So anyway, I say all that to say this is an 8.75 on the boldness scale. It's pretty tough to pull off. Maybe even a 9. Let's make it a 9 on the boldness scale. Next up, we're going to the Carolinas. Wilmington, North Carolina is where Blake lives. He says, none of the Carolina schools will make the ACC title game. That means no Clemson. That means no NC State. No Wake Forest. No Duke. That's right. Duke is not making the ACC title game, according to Blake. And you would have um, no Wake. Did I mention all of them? Yeah, Clemson, North Carolina, Duke, NC State, Wake Forest. For those of you keeping track at home, that means the number one, number four, number five, number eight, and number nine odds teams are out of the picture. So what kind of, what kind of leftovers are we looking at for the ACC title game? Could have Florida State, Louisville, Pitt, Miami. I'm going to stop there for obvious reasons. Yeah, it could happen. Clemson's won seven of the past eight. The last time 
that we didn't have a Carolina school in the ACC title game was 2014. That was FSU versus, wait for it, Georgia Tech. Uh, This is very unlikely. This is a nine for me, but there is a world that I see FSU in Louisville. Because Louisville has the most uh, desirable schedule of anyone in the ACC. Uh, They don't play Florida State. Well, what what if Florida State's just better than Clemson and beats them once in the regular season? And maybe Clemson drops another game and FSU is off to the ACC title game and Louisville wins 10 games on the strength of maybe just they execute well or maybe they execute against the soft schedule. Next up, uh, I had to go all the way back to the early 90s to find out when the last time this happened was. Conference Commandos hit us up and said, Illinois at Iowa, November 18th. That will be a top 25 showdown. Well, that's a nine. That's a nine on the boldness scale. Normally, that late in the year, you need to be seven and three. That's, that's kind of what you need to have to be a top 25 team. Iowa, before this game, they got at Penn State, Michigan State, Purdue, at Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois. Illinois plays Toledo early. That's like a seven-point line. Don't overlook Toledo. And they play Penn State at Purdue, Nebraska, at Maryland, Wisconsin, at Minnesota, Indiana. Uh, this has not happened since 1991. Illinois, Iowa. Top 25 matchup has not happened since 1991. You got transfer portal quarterbacks facing off. You got Altmeyer versus Cade McNamara. This is a nine on the boldness scale. And lastly, but uh, it's, it's actually lastly and leastly, this is the least bold prediction of the night. Allen from Biloxi, Mississippi says Utah loses four or more games with one of the toughest schedules in FBS. Um, it's like a seven. For me, on the boldness scale, their over-under is eight and a half. So, I mean, even Vegas says, yeah, it's not all that bold. Cam Rising, the quarterback out there, has, has his status for week one uncertain right now. He's practicing, but he's limited. He's coming off a knee injury, and so we'll see if he's back to 100%. Here's why it's so important early. They play Florida in week one on a Thursday night, by the way. Uh, they go to Baylor the next week. They got UCLA week four, and they got at Oregon State in week five. So four of their first five games, all due respect to Weber State, four of the first five games are extremely losable. And guys, if they're not right at quarterback, they could lose all four of those. So it's not a prediction, certainly. But yeah, that, that's before they play at USC and play Oregon and play at Washington. Uh, this is very possible. Very possible. So. Of course, they could win all of them. You know, there is that possibility too, but I'm going to put a seven on that one. You're not giving me any more guarantee about health of the quarterback position. That's a seven. All right, we have to wrap the show tonight with me having to measure my words very carefully. And the chalice is empty just when I need it the most. Mike hit us up and he said, what are your thoughts on the NCAA denying waivers? for second-time transfers like Devontez Walker, Daryl Jackson, despite both moving to be closer to family. Uh, it sucks, Mike. That's what I think about it. The NCAA putting on another masterclass of how to screw athletes, which is really supposed to be their sole existence, looking out for student-athletes. I doubt anyone up there thinks about that a second of their day. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with what's happening here, let me, let me bounce this cluster off of you. So Devontez Walker you probably weren't following his recruitment in 2019. Devontae Walker, he goes to East Tennessee State in 2019, tears his ACL, they gray-shirt him. He never plays a game. 
He transfers to NC Central for 2020. They cancel their season because of COVID. Are you keeping up? He's been to two schools. He's never played a game. 2021, he goes to Kent State. He breaks out. One of the top receivers in the MAC. He's there 2021. He's there 2022. He's got a sick grandma in North Carolina. He wants to be closer to home. He has played at only one school, by, by the way. So he transfers to North Carolina. NCAA decides this week they're going to deny his waiver for immediate eligibility. And everyone's looking around saying, what are you talking about? And they're saying, well, well he's transferred more than one time. Yeah, he's never played. It uh, doesn't matter. And so that's the long and the short of that. He transferred in the early window, by the way. And then the NCAA passed new guidelines after that. So basically, this dude transfers with one set of rules, which make it look like a slam dunk. Also, common sense makes it look like a slam dunk that he will be eligible and hopefully replace Josh Downs as the number one receiver at North Carolina. Then the NCAA puts forth new guidelines and they decide to take the new guidelines over here and apply them to someone who transferred before they implemented them. And in some corners of NCAA headquarters, this makes sense. So he's never played at East Tennessee. He never played at NC Central. He blows up at Kent State. Uh, He wants to be closer to a sick relative at North Carolina. Plus, he should just be able to transfer anyway. I don't care where his relatives live. NFL draft folks think he could be like a top 50 pick. I saw Pete Thamel say this earlier today. Like, there is a lot riding on this. NCAA kind of yawned and went and ate some saltines earlier today and decided, you know what we're going to do today? We're going to screw another student athlete. Why why don't we just do that? We invented the term student athlete, so why don't we screw a couple of them? Um, UNC has filed an appeal. There's There's this modicum of hope I have that someone somewhere up there will do the right thing and overturn this decision. Hopefully it's just egregious oversight, which they have been known to be guilty of. Uh, But in lieu of that, just do they ever do anything worthwhile up there? Does the NCAA ever figure out a way to do anything that makes themselves look good or, I don't know, help student athletes out? You know, that term you guys came up with. Um, Please overturn this. There's a reason people speak in these tones about you. And it's not too late. Change it. This kid should be playing for North Carolina this year. Like anybody of sound mind understands that. And hopefully at least one or two of those people are in the room up there making decisions. All right, that's our show. For Director Colin, for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much. We'll be back here Thursday night. Until then, take care and God bless.